Amen. You can head to the book of John if you have your Bible with you this morning. We are almost to the end of our series, learning what it means for us as believers in 2021 to follow Jesus. And we're learning through the lens of the disciples who followed Jesus some 2,000 years ago. But the Word of God is unchanging. The truth and the power of it is unchanging. If you recall, last week we were at the, we did the first half of John chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. And as we looked at it last week, that first part of Jesus' conversation with his followers, we learned three important practical uh, lessons. I just want to read those to you because it'll sort of set the stage for what we're going to look at here in the second half of John 14 here this morning. The three things that we took away last week were this, our future in heaven with Jesus is hope for present troubles. Our way to heaven is Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And finally, while still here on earth, we will do greater works through Jesus. So Jesus tells us these things right off the bat in the beginning of John 14. And if you are an astute reader, you may have noticed that it felt a little bit odd because Jesus in that initial part of the chapter talks a lot about God the Father, talks a lot about him as the Son, but the Holy Spirit is conspicuously absent. And so if you just read the first part of John 14, you might think, well, did Jesus forget that there is a third person in the Trinity, or is the Trinity itself a sham, as many today will claim? What we will see is clearly that is not the case. As we finish out John 14, Jesus is going to teach us a lot about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the power that is involved in the Trinity, God himself, the three-in-one, and how it relates to us as his followers. So let's begin by reading a little bit longer passage. This is John 14. We're going to start in verse 15 and read to the end of the chapter, which is verse 31. And I'll be reading in the English Standard Version this morning. Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. 
And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Let's take a moment, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you, the three and one, have given us everything that we need for life, for godliness, for salvation, and for hope. And so our eyes are fixed upon you this morning. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The scripture this morning gives us four very practical ways to experience the love and the presence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Number one is this, right from the text, verse 15, love Jesus and keep his commandments. Love Jesus and keep his commandments. If you were here with us last week, you recall that at the end of the initial part of John 14, Jesus gives us this incredibly extravagant promise. And I want to read it to you because it bookends what we have just heard here when Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is verse 12, uh, I'm sorry, verse 13, 12, 13, and 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, when we hear this promise from Jesus, we might initially have echoing in our heads either Robin Williams or uh, Will Smith, the, the words of the genie of the lamp, right? Three wishes I shall grant you. And in hearing that and thinking that, you may think, well, Lord Jesus, I'll take a brand new car, I'll take a brand new house, and $100 million for my third wish. That's not what he is talking about, though, right? What we see from this passage and many others is this. Two things, really. that God's triune Goodness and grace is limitless. He can and do uh, all things, and he will give us all things. But his promises here are not without qualifications. They're not without qualifications. And the first couple of qualifications we just saw, he says, you must love me and you must keep my commandments. And if we look at verse 12, 13, he really gives us an additional two qualifications. Believe in me, believe in Jesus, and ask in my name. So Jesus is teaching us something that is incredibly simple, but incredibly profound at the same time. How do we love God? You may say, I I love God. How, How do I express my love to God? Jesus says here to obey him. It really is that simple. If I want to show God how much I love him because of his love for me, that I ought to obey him. And the scripture here, Jesus is saying that our obedience flows out of our love for God. And if we love Jesus, then by his grace, and by his grace alone, then we must seek to obey him, to follow hard after his commandments. Father, I love you. Lord Jesus, I trust you. Holy Spirit, I want to make you Lord of my life, and I take myself off of the throne. Now, this passage flies in the face of a mentality that permeates our culture that basically says uh, something like this. God's love has completely replaced God's law, and so I can do whatever I want. 
right? The spirit of our day is, if I feel like it is love or loving, and if I feel like I'm not hurting anybody, then I can do what I want. But what Jesus is here saying is any love that does not express itself in obedience and submission to the commands of Jesus is not real love. Jesus is teaching us about love, and it flows out of the identity of the Father. God is fully a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of forgiveness. And in a way that we could never accomplish, he is simultaneously a God perfectly and fully of truth, of justice, and of holiness. But lest we think that we can somehow earn our way to God or to salvation, we also understand what Jesus is saying, that our obedience flows ultimately from his love, not mine. See, the gospel turns everything right side up. We can do nothing to earn or maintain a relationship with God. We cannot, and we will not obey God if left to ourselves. So listen to what Jesus actually says. If we love him, we will obey him. Not, not, if we obey him, then he will love us. You see the difference? It is the foundation of his grace, his love, and his mercy that moves us by the power of his Holy Spirit to say, Lord Jesus, I want to obey you. On my own, I didn't, but because of your grace now, I want to follow after you. And we see this play out throughout the scriptures. Look at what John writes in the book of 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And send his son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, it's very easy for us to get this out of order and think our obedience must come first and then God's love second. It is very much the opposite. God's love has been poured out and yet the response is that I desire to love and obey him and to follow his commands. I won't do it perfectly. My my obedience merits nothing. His perfect obedience has merited me everything and out of that love I want to obey him. Listen to the way that Paul expresses this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We love that part, and we should. Hear verse 10 that we should equally love, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Love Jesus Keep his commandments. Number two, Jesus shifts the conversation now to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Number two, know the Holy Spirit and dwell with him. This is the language that Jesus uses. Know the Holy Spirit and dwell with him. We see this in verses 16 through 18 in particular. I'll read those again. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Here in one verse, we have all three persons of the Trinity. And if you're new to Christianity, or even if you're not, the the Trinity is, is profound, right? It is hard for us to grasp. So we should begin by just trying to answer in our finite human ability, the question, who or what is the Trinity? We have many places in Scripture like this where all three persons of the Trinity show up in one verse, which is important. 
All three exist. All three are personal. Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, a blessing from Paul, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. There are many passages that speak to one or both or all three members of the Trinity, a helpful understanding in taking all of the various verses in Scripture just to sort of summarize what does the Bible tell us about this profound and amazing, glorious mystery that is the Trinity. Here from the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 2, on the Holy Spirit, it gives us a nice little summary when it says this. In the unity of the Godhead, there be three persons of one substance, power and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. Think John 3.16. The Holy Ghost eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. Now, the Westminster is not Scripture. It does not hold the same authority as Scripture, but it is a helpful summary for us to understand this profound and amazing, glorious mystery that is the Trinity. As we think, though, specifically about the Holy Spirit, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? Well, there are books upon books upon books that study all that is just the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let me give you four just very brief thoughts on what does the Holy Spirit's work look like. And we get this from Jesus, the very next chapter, John 16. Jesus has more to say about the Holy Spirit, this promise, the Holy Spirit that is coming when he leaves. He says this, John 16, verses 13 and 14. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, says Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Son Jesus Christ, and manifest that reality in the lives of his believers and followers. One of the ways that he does this, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus by teaching us about Jesus in the Bible. It says he is the spirit of truth. He will teach you all things. 2 Peter 1.21, among many places, says men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that is how God gave us the Scripture, the Bible, all 66 books. He gave it to us and teaches our hearts even today through His Word and through the Son, Jesus, who has come to earth and gone back into heaven. Secondly, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus by drawing men and women, boys and girls, to Himself. We saw a snapshot of this at the beginning of John in John chapter 3 where we learned about the new birth, which is regeneration. And Jesus says no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the capital S, spirit. Our faith and repentance as believers is out of a response to what the Holy Spirit has begun in us. And it is only by his grace and work in our lives. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus by making believers more and more into the image of Jesus. 
This is sanctification. If the Son justifies, it is the Holy Spirit that sanctifies. The Holy Spirit is who empowers our victory over sin. On our own, we cannot defeat sin, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can say no to sin and yes to righteousness, says Ephesians 5.18, among many places. The Holy Spirit, if you can imagine this also, the Bible says, prays for us and teaches us to pray, Romans 8, 26. This is a profound mystery, again, that, that the Holy Spirit is praying on our behalf. The Scripture says in utterances that cannot be understood, He is praying to the Father on our behalf. The Scripture also tells us that Jesus, on many occasions and even now, is praying on our behalf. Remember that God, the Trinity, all three persons, are on your side praying for you, even as the Holy Spirit is teaching you how to join in prayer. Fourth and finally, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus by leading and sustaining us in Christian service. The Holy Spirit calls you. He encourages you. He equips you. He fills you. He empowers you. He gives you specifically the fruit of the Spirit, right? One fruit, eight different dimensions, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, The fruit of the Spirit, every single believer has been given the fruit of the Spirit. And every single believer has been given at least one gift of the Spirit. Whether that be evangelism or teaching or kindness or mercy, whatever it may be. And so when you are not using your gift in the body of Christ, we're missing out. Because we need your gifts as a part of the family of God. I want to look at one little phrase that Jesus used though right up front when he tells us that the Holy Spirit is coming. How does he name the Holy Spirit here at the beginning? And he comes back to the same phrase. Well, he calls, he calls the Holy Spirit another helper. Another helper. Why? Why would he say this? Well, first of all, let's look at the word helper. The word helper in Greek is the word paraclete. Paraclete. And para means alongside of, Cleet means called, the called. And so literally when we hear helper, in the Greek it is saying one who is called to come alongside. That is the Holy Spirit. But the Bible says another helper, another one to come alongside. Why? Who is the first? Let's look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The advocate in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 is Jesus. It is in Greek the same word, paraclete. Jesus, the advocate, the paraclete, the helper. He is the first helper and he is saying In a moment where he is about to go to the cross and leave them behind, he is saying, I'm sending another helper. So we can be encouraged. Jesus is not leaving them or us alone. He is sending a helper, an advocate. There is another way, though, that in English this word gets translated that is also extremely helpful. You will often hear it said that the Holy Spirit is the comforter. He's the helper. He's the advocate. He is the comforter. And if we look at the word comforter, it comes out of the Latin come, meaning with, and fortis, where we get the word fortress, or in music, fortissimo, strength. 
that we are given strength, that he is a comforter. He comes with strength. Now think about this. R.C. Sproul, speaking on this exact idea, says this of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not one who is there simply to dry your tears after the battle, but one who comes to give strength and courage for the battle. He is a comforter. Yes, he will meet with you in your pain, but he is also one who has come to to come with strength. He's the helper. He's the advocate. He is the comforter. So in this dark and broken world, the Holy Spirit is very much with us in all these ways to give us courage and help for the battle that we know that we face. I read an article uh, very recently. It was telling about biker gangs, motorcycle gangs. There is one particular gang. I don't know where in the country, but they have begun um, attending um, trials. Now, biker gang, we're talking Harleys and big beards and big muscles, big dudes with lots of beard and leather for days, tattoos, everything. They are showing up to trials so that when children have to face their accuser or their abuser in court, they can literally look over and see this entire biker gang that is standing there reminding this child, you are not alone. I am with you. That same image though it be imperfect, is exactly what Jesus is telling his believers who are afraid, you are not alone. I am with you, and when I leave, I am sending you the Holy Spirit. You are not alone. Number three, trust in the promises of the triune God. Jesus has a lot to say here. In verses 19 through 24, he's going to give us that picture of, again, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the way that they work together, the three in one, to love and provide, cherish, and lead us. Uh, I watched a movie a few years ago. I don't necessarily recommend it, but it brought, the the movie came to mind this week. It's the movie uh, A Star is Born. It came out in 2018. Um, It features, oh, what does it feature? Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, who I also can neither recommend nor not recommend. But the movie is an interesting movie. This is the third remake of this same story. And um, what it attempts to do, it it initially has all the the perfect marks of a great love um, and redemption story. But you'll see very quickly that the characters are flawed. Um, the story becomes broken, and the redemption that we might long for in our hearts will ultimately fail in this story. And if you haven't seen it, um, there is essentially a main character, a once very famous rock star guy, whose career is on the decline, but he one day discovers a woman with an incredible talent, and he essentially helps to launch her career forward. And along the way, they fall in love, uh, but eventually the rock star's drinking problem overshadows her budding career. But he genuinely wants to see her essentially be all that she can be and and fill her calling and her role and her her giftedness, but he's in the way. Shockingly, sorry to ruin the movie for you, but he, um, he takes his own life. You're not ready for it and it just hits you like a ton of bricks. He takes his own life and she is left brokenhearted and alone, uh, but in some sense they sort of heal the story, fix it a little bit because she finds the strength within to to press on. Um, I have maybe never been so emotionally affected by a movie as I was by this, the ups and very much the downs in it, and I'm never going to watch it again 
because I found it so incredibly frustrating the way that this story plays out. I, I think every story, right, is ultimately trying to grasp at the story that God has written for us perfectly, one of love and of redemption. And you can see where this movie falls short. He wants to provide redemption for her, but he cannot, and he actually inflicts what is really an unhealable wound on her. His life is marked by sin. He cannot fix her sin because he can't even fix his own sin, even though his intentions are very good. He couldn't save her. He couldn't save himself. And so their relationship is over because his life is over and he's not coming back. And that's the end of the story. Now we come to John. Jesus is in literally the final few hours of his life. What does he want to say to his people who later will be referred to in Ephesians as the bride of Christ? Well, this is what he wants to say. First, he wants to say, you have resurrection in me, resurrection in the Son. Look at verse 19. A little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. Do you see that? It's not just that Jesus is going to resurrect from the dead. It is that all of his people will one day resurrect with him, not just physically, but eternally to a powerful and perfect place called heaven. You have a resurrection in the Son because Jesus didn't fail. He came to earth. He lived the perfect life with no sin, no mistakes, no errors. He chose willingly to go to the cross. He died on that cross and then three days later rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and he will come back. We have a resurrection in the Son. But we also have relationship and redemption, redemption with the Father. Look at verses 20 and 21. Jesus says, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If Jesus had just claimed to be God, if Jesus just had good intentions, if Jesus went and died on the cross but did not rise from the dead, it might have been slightly courageous, but it would have accomplished nothing. But by his death and the resurrection, we have redemption and we have restoration with the Father. Sin has completely broken our connection and our relationship with God the Father who is holy and just. And through Jesus being sent by the Father, we can have redemption, true redemption, eternal redemption with the Father. So there's resurrection in the Son, redemption in the Father, and relationship in the Holy Spirit relationship in the Holy Spirit. Look again at verses 16 through 18, but hear it through this lens of we have established relationship with the Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, not for a while. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. So because of the work of the Holy Spirit, followers of Jesus can come to know God the Father better than if Jesus was even still walking physically alongside of them. This is the power of the Trinity. We are literally moved, it says, from being an orphan to being adopted into the eternal family of God. The Holy Spirit will always be with you.
And so fourth and finally, Jesus ends with a bonus promise about the Holy Spirit. Number four, take peace, he says. Take peace in the Holy Spirit. Oh, how we long for peace. Oh, how we need peace. And how we don't have it in this life, save God's grace and mercy. Listen to the end again. I'm going to read 26 and 27, and then 30 and 31, and listen to how Jesus brings together the idea of peace in the Holy Spirit. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Their situation then, like your situation now, is not marked by the external manifestation of peace. It's not a peaceful time. It was not a peaceful time then either. Jesus is hours from being violently arrested, beaten, and killed. It is not a time of peace, but Jesus is saying on the verge of his violent execution, there will be peace even in this storm. Follower of Jesus, there will be peace even in your storms. It is not in any way tied to your circumstances. It is exclusively tied to who God is. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is where peace comes from. We have peace from God. We also have peace with God. As we read at the beginning of this service from Romans chapter five, we were at war with God. We were enemies with God because of our sin and through Jesus' perfect life, death on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, and his resurrection from the dead. He has ended the hostility that existed between us, all humanity, and God. We have peace from God, and we have peace with God. Who did it? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I love how Jesus ends. He says, the devil, Satan, he has no claim on me. I am not going to the cross because he sent me there. I am not going and chained. He does not rule over this situation. Rather, quite the opposite. My father, who is sovereign over all, is not surprised by this moment. He sent me for this exact purpose. Satan has no claim on me because he's not in charge. God, my father, is in charge. Satan has no claim on me because I am sinless. There are no handles for him to grasp me. And when you trust in Jesus as your personal Lord, And Savior, your sin is washed white as snow. Satan no longer has any hold on you. There is no grave that can hold you down because there is no grave that can hold Jesus down. It's by the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we have this gift. Amen and amen. Let's take a moment and let's pray together now and talk to this good and loving Father.